five social interaction truths that we're going to talk about today. And the first one that I want you to look for, if you're taking notes, write this down. It's the social interaction truth that self-importance misguides. Self-importance misguides. Look at verse 27 here in Proverbs chapter 25. We're told this. It's not good to eat too much honey, and it's not good to seek honors for yourself. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe you were in a group with people, and someone sort of pushed themselves to the front of the line or maybe demanded special treatment? You know, some cultures uh, encourage this behavior, for those of you who have traveled internationally, it's probably not uncommon. You can probably think of experiences where people sort of push themselves in front of you or maybe even aggressively manipulate a business situation to better themselves. I think here in America, uh, many people from outside our country might accuse us of, of being a king of placing ourselves first. Certainly, if you would talk to my Canadian relatives, uh, hopefully they're not as harsh today anymore, but they would say, yeah, you Americans are definitely uh, cocky. You Americans are definitely arrogant. Um, and so for today's conversation, I, I, I guess I share that with you to suggest that let's not be judgmental of other people. Always, whenever we come to a, a place like this and we have conversations, it's always good for us to sort of evaluate ourselves and take a look at yourself. And so the question that you need to ask yourself today, the question I'm asking myself today, is do I live with a sense of self-importance? Or is it my practice to put others first? to seek to build up and honor others ahead of myself. Look at verses six and seven in this chapter. We're told, don't demand an audience with the king or push for a place among the great. It's better to wait for an invitation to the head table than to be sent away in public disgrace. You know, when Jesus was here on this earth, he talked about this, this very thing. In fact, one of the things he taught in, in the gospel of Luke chapter 14, let me just read it for you. Jesus said, when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat, then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Jesus goes on, he says, instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, as a pastor, as you can probably easily understand, I have been through countless to many weddings uh, in, in the course of my lifetime. And uh, generally, when you go to a wedding, what do they serve? Food, right? Uh, every party is better with food. Would anybody want to say amen to that? Where's Joe? I need an amen, a hearty amen. Well, on two specific occasions, I can remember what Jesus talked about here played out with great vividness. In fact, I remember I was at one particular, uh, the reason why this scripture stands out so me is because I was at one wedding 
where there was a, a group of people who had sat at this table that had been situated close to the head table that had been reserved for grandma and grandpa. Well, when the wedding party came in, particularly when the bride and groom came into kind of the, the banquet hall, if you will, and the bride noticed that somebody was sitting at the table where grandma and grandpa were supposed to sit and somebody else that wasn't there either. I was like at another table. She stopped and she said, what are you doing sitting at this table? This table is reserved for my grandma and grandpa. Grandma and grandpa and Pastor Mike? I'm like, oh, please don't involve me in this, you know. Uh, come up here to, to, to this table. And one of the guests at the table said, well, where are we supposed to sit? This, the whole, all the tables are filled up right now. To which the bride responded, I don't really care where you sit. As far as I'm concerned, you can leave. This table is for my grandma and grandpa. It was both embarrassing and exalting, right, at, at the same time. This table that had been reserved for someone more important had been filled with somebody who was less important. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if this social interaction truth hits home for any of you. But it's a good reminder that the Bible teaches us that self-importance misguides, okay? Social interaction truth number two. The second social interaction truth that Proverbs 25 tells us to be, on, to be aware of is the truth that valid criticism teaches. Valid criticism teaches. Look at verse 12. We're told, to one who listens, valid criticism is like a gold earring or a gold jewelry. You know, friends, we all have people in our life whom we love and respect. And so when one of those individuals comes to you and, and gives you some feedback, when they are maybe pointing out some shortcoming or blind spot that you have, because we all have blind spots, we talk about that a, a lot around here, Receive it. Humble yourself. Listen to what they are saying. And then, and with God's help, and this is particularly true in marriage relationships, don't be defensive. You know, sometimes, you know, early on in our relationship, uh, Robin and my marriage, you know, when, and sometimes still to this day, when I might say something and Robin might feel a little defensive because tact has a lot to do with how you present things. I will say, listen, my, 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 I'll put my hands up kind of like this, you know, in the surrender position and go, my goal is not to make you feel defensive. My goal is not to hurt you or to, to hurt your feelings or be mean to you. I just want you to sh be aware of, of, such and such. You know, if general, generally, if someone loves you, it's not their intent to hurt you, right? Now, they may have a terrible way of expressing themselves. Some, you know, some people have more tact than others. It's a learned behavior, something that I've, I've grown in, and I'm sure many of you have as well. But the Bible writer is teaching us that criticism is something that you and I can learn from. So don't get bitter, get, get better. Learn from people's feedback. Why? Because valid criticism teaches. Valid criticism, according to scripture here, will make you better. 
So let's say a prayer together, okay? So as always, I encourage you to open the palms of your hand because we want to receive from the Lord his help, right? You're going to receive a gift from him. Just take a deep breath, you know, exhale, and then just pray this in your heart. Really simple. Say, Heavenly Father, please help me to have a teachable attitude. Please help me to learn from people's feedback. Even when that feedback is hard to hear. God, please help me to grow. Please help me to improve. And please help me to to be receptive and to learn from people's criticism. Because valid criticism teaches. Good. Amen. Truth number three. A third social interaction truth that Proverbs chapter 25 teaches us is that reliability refreshes. Reliability refreshes. Ask yourself this question, friends. Are you reliable? Are you trustworthy? Can I depend upon you? Or do you have a proclivity to renege on your commitments? Look at verses 13 and 14 here in this chapter. We're told trustworthy messengers refresh like snow in summer. They revive the spirit of their employer. A person who promises a gift but doesn't give it is like clouds and wind that bring no rain. Look at verse 19. It says, putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. Translation, unreliable people cause pain. Turn to your neighbor and say, be dependable. Be dependable. So for, for so a little fun today, I want to invite you to grade yourself against the Mike Decker reliability checklist, okay? So if you want to know what's important to me, you're about to find out. Number one, when you borrow someone's car, do you return it clean and with a full tank of gas? Reliability checklist number two. When someone tells you a secret, do you tell somebody? Do you share that secret with others? Or, at the very least, do you say, would it be okay if I shared such and such with? I will often in conversations with people, not so much early in my marriage, but more so now, because we've been married for so long, long time, wonderful time. But I will often say, would it be okay if I shared this with Robin, my wife? And almost 99 out of 100 times, people will say, of course, I just assumed you would. Well, I never assume that. Are you reliable with people's secrets? When someone tells you a secret, does it stay a secret? Or how about when you have an appointment with somebody? Do you arrive, arrive on time or perhaps a little bit early or are you consistently late? That's a reliability issue. 
And I'm not looking at anybody specific when I look out there. Or how about this one? When you commit to something, do you follow through? Or if for some reason you can't follow through, do you take the initiative to find a replacement for yourself to do the task you originally agreed to? Instead of saying, I can't be there and leave it upon the person to find your replacement. Subtle, but a big deal. Are you reliable? I've been asked to be an event in two weeks here in Costa Mesa to be part of this event. And I said, yes, I will be there. But now I have another option. Another, somebody in the family is looking for my help. And I'm like, okay, I made a commitment to this. And yet I really have a higher priority to this. I haven't reneged from this yet. And I don't think I can do two things at once. But if I have to go back on this, before I go back on it, I'm going to say I have a replacement, right? That's a Mike Decker reliability issue. Are you reliable? And then lastly, number five, when you borrow something from someone and you break it, has that ever happened? Has to me. Or you damage it in some way. Do you replace it? Do you pay for the repair? Are you reliable? You know, brothers and sisters, King Solomon here in Proverbs chapter 25 reminds us that reliability refreshes. So let's pray a very simple prayer, okay? Hands open, heart open, mind open. Just pray this in your heart. Heavenly Father, please help me to be reliable. I want to be someone who is trustworthy with the little stuff and the big stuff. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Good. Social reliability, interaction, truth, I guess, number four. Social interaction, truth, number four. Timing matters. Timing matters. Look at verse 11. Proverbs 25, verse 11 says, Timely advice is lovely, like golden apples in a silver basket. Verse 20, this is a big one. Singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's cold coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. Timing matters. So a show of hands, how many of you have ever attended a funeral? We all bought a for you. How many of you have ever had a friend who had a loved one die? And you wanted to encourage them, right? You wanted to say something to them, you, to, to let them know that you care, to let them know that you feel bad about the fact that their loved one is now dead. But how many of you have ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to say? Happens to me every time. I'm not sure what to say. Here's what you should never say. I know how you feel. Never good to say that. Timing matters. You may have an almost identical situation to the death of your, this person's loved one. But friends, you don't know how I feel. And I don't know how you feel. Because my relationship with this person or your relationship with this person 
could vastly be different. It's not helpful to people. And I don't know if you've ever had anybody say to you, I know how you feel. You're just trying to be nice. It doesn't help. Timing matters. You know, church, I've learned that often the best thing to say when people are grieving is very little. Timing matters. Sometimes giving a hug is the best. Or maybe the words, I love you, often well received. That's it. Offer your presence, offer your companionship. It's not complicated. Timing matters. If you don't know what to say, don't say anything. It's okay to ask, how are you doing? Then listen. It's okay to say, I'd like to bring dinner over tonight. Would 5.30 p.m. be okay? Because people who are grieving, if you've ever been there, you don't want to make a lot of decisions. And usually what you're going to eat for the night, especially when you have people and family over, you just don't have the space for it. And so when someone comes to you, like Rick and Nancy Capco, and says, we're bringing dinner over tonight at 5.30 or 6 o'clock, the best, you just go six, and dinner's there. Timing matters. Your presence matters. Look again at verse 20. Singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. Translation, just sit with people. Just love on people with your presence. If people want to talk, then talk. If you want to share a personal story about how that loved one maybe impacted your life, then share it. But timing, what? It matters. You know, when our first daughter, our first child was born, Gina, she was born with a cleft lip and palate. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like I tell people, it's like if you took a scissors and cut your lip, it would come apart. And so she had a, a gap in her upper lip and then she had a gap in, in the roof of her mouth. And at six weeks old, they, they had to do surgery and they closed it all up. It's called a cleft lip and palate. And we got this card, like the second day we were still in the hospital, we got this card from somebody who wrote these words. Uh, Something to this effect. I don't really remember that clearly. I'm sure if you ask Robin, she could probably tell you verbatim. Uh, But something to the effect is, I know that you're grieving the loss of the perfect child. And I was thinking, I'm not grieving the loss of the perfect child. Have you seen this face? I'm I'm not the cutest guy in the room. I'm certainly not grieving the loss uh, of the birth of our daughter uh, and, and certainly not the loss of a perfect child. But what made matters worse and what made me feel really angry was the fact that the card was unsigned. No courage there. I couldn't even have a conversation with the person who maybe was dealing with their own stuff. And it upset me. I felt angry. Brothers and sisters, if you want to send a card, send a card, but sign it. It's helpful. Write the phrase, I'm thinking about you at this time. I love you. I'm here 
I'm here for you. Who doesn't enjoy reading that kind of encouragement? Timing others and good timing, the Bible says, will refresh. Again, I, I, I often say this, and maybe you're tired of hearing me, but never underestimate the value of a good hug. When we walk into this auditorium and you guys are amazing at, at giving hugs and you go, hello, and you extend your hand or you give a hug or a peck on the cheek or whatever, you have no idea how that can pick people up. Timing matters. So let's pray another prayer. Hands open, heart open, mind open. Just say, God, please help me to be wise with the words I say and don't say. God, help me to be present with people. Help me to be a friend who refreshes. This is my prayer today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Good. Truth. Truth number five. Truth number five. A final social interaction truth that I invite you to ponder today. That we are taught here in Proverbs chapter 25 is the truth that spiritual passivity pollutes. Spiritual passivity pollutes. Verse 26. We're told if the godly give in to the wicked, it's like polluting a fountain or muddying a spring. You know, church, it's my observation that we are now living in a day when Christianity, and specifically the family, is being attacked. The government, in my opinion, is, is beginning to overstep their, their rights, and maybe that's always been the case. Maybe those of you who are older than me and, you know, have, all, has, have felt that for a while, I don't know. But when the state is now giving doctors the authority, at least here in California, that, that a doctor has more authority over the well-being of my child than I do as their parent, in my opinion, that's wrong. That's wrong. Laws are now, now being implemented where a parent is forbidden from sitting with their 12-year-old son or daughter at the doctor's office. And when the doctor can talk to the child under the cloak of confidentiality about having a sex change without my, me as a parent's knowledge or consent, or at least even being part of the conversation. I don't know if you have a problem with that. I have a problem with that. Partly because the Bible teaches us, in, 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 it says it's the responsibility of the parent to raise up a child, to train them up. You know, here in, in California, uh, you can't even get your driver's license by the age of 18. But a doctor or a teacher can influence my child to have a sex change? That's messed up, brothers and sisters. That is evil. Now, the Bible teaches, again, it's my responsibility to train up a child in the way that he, should, he or she should go. Not the government. Not the state. Me. Dad. You. Mom. I don't know what challenges King Solomon had in mind when he wrote this proverb, but he instructs us and warns us that spiritual passivity pollutes. 
You know, personally, I don't spend a lot of time debating politics, as some of you know. But I will tell you, uh, well, one thing for certain is I'm very intentional about not including politics, at least in my Sunday messages. I work really hard at separating church and state when it comes to politics. But I hope that my behavior here on this platform, on our regular weekly conversation, does not lead you to believe that you should be silent with your voice. Because the Bible teaches that spiritual passivity does what? It pollutes. And I'll close with this. Whenever I do officiate a a funeral, whenever I officiate a funeral, I never comment on whether a person is in hell or not. Why? Well, a couple reasons. It wouldn't be received well. Timing matters. But really, only God can determine a person's final destination. Would you agree with me on that? But what I do share is what the Bible teaches about heaven and how to get there. And then I trust that people can decide for themselves where a person's final resting place might be. And hopefully, even more importantly, that they will look within and ask the question, hmm, where am I going to land when it comes time for me to buy the farm? My job, my responsibility, and yours is to make sure that we live our lives on the spirit foundation of biblical truth because spiritual passivity pollutes. So church, in closing, where is God poking you to speak up? Anything come to mind? What places is God inviting you to step into to be salt and light? One final prayer. Hands open. Heart open, mind open, pray this with me. Say, dear Jesus, please strengthen my spiritual muscles. Please help me to be a positive spiritual influence. To be a guardian against that which is evil. To be proactive in my world for those who are weak and unrepresented. Now pray this. Say, God, please pour out your favor upon my family. Please pour out your favor upon the loved ones who I'm sitting next to right here in this place. God, please pour out your favor upon my kids and upon my my children. And God, please help me to know when my voice needs to be heard. Give me the courage to stand against spiritual passivity. This is my prayer today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Friends, Proverbs chapter 25 offers us five social interaction truths. Self-importance misguides. Valid criticism teaches. Reliability refreshes. Timing matters. And spiritual passivity pollutes. 
Brothers and sisters, if you want to live a fruitful life, then practice these truths, for this is wisdom to live by. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you.